All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in Corpus Christi and San Antonio. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. If you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 374 points, or 1.1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 85 points, or 2%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 410 points, or 2.8%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 14.6%. The S&P 500 year to date is up 17.5%. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 15.1%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I will tell you what a wild week for Wall Street this past week. Yeah. When we saw the selling from the previous week on Thursday and Friday, some hand-wringing that Joe and I talked about uh, two weeks ago from the Humphrey Hawkins testimony that Chairman Powell gave to congressional subcommittees. And I think some verbiage that came out of uh, the now anointed bond king, Jeffrey Girdlock of Double Line Capital, we saw the selling flow in through the weekend. And Monday uh, looked like we were on the precipice or the beginning stages of a corrective move in the market. Well, they were definitely using all the buzzwords on CNBC correction. You know, that was this it. Uh, I mean, it was into the cat. It was end of capitalism. As you know, it. you know, the, the top the, is the here. Top was in. The top can't, was in. It can't get any better. It can't go any higher. You just, it was all, I mean, how many, how many years we've been doing this, Kyle? We've been doing this show since 2005. Five. So this were just a few months. We'll have completed our 16th full year of the Money Wise show, and then you know I've been managing, you know, been in the business uh, 29 years on October the first, and I don't know how many times uh, the talking heads have come out and called the top. If I had a dollar for every time they called the top, I could have retired, I guess. <laughs> But, well, <laughs> you know, so it's just that they were breathless and, and panting on Monday. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was the worst down day since I think last fall, October, something like that. Well, we yes, we. And we then what happened? And, and then what do we do after that? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, boom. And I think what this should really be saying to investors, it just shows the amount of liquidity and the money that's out there sitting on the sidelines, the trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines looking for buying opportunities. Because you're right, Jeff, we have not seen pullbacks in the Dow Jones in particular. We have not seen the type of pullback we saw on Monday since October of last year. And when we were intraday on Monday, we saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ all off by more than 3% from their 52-week high. Well, obviously, that was that three, a little bit more than three-plus percent pullback. And so investors that had cash on the sidelines looking for an opportunity to get in at a lower price, they definitely took full advantage of it because we saw nothing but a rally back in the market from Tuesday through Friday. And then we had the Dow Jones Industrial Average close on Friday above 35000 for the first time. Well, it, it, it was ideally, it was the best time to have your buy list ready. And apparently, a lot of investors did. But also, where did we finish the week with the 10-year treasury? Thank you, Joe. I was just getting ready to make that Tina, point. Tina, there think, is no alternative. Exactly. Since I believe this started in March was the high for yields in the 10-year treasury. I'll have to go back and check yes. it on the break. I believe Roughly. it was March. It was in like 1... 1. 1.75, 1.76. It was the high 1.7s, you know, right below 1.8, something like that. And all we've done since March, here we are four months later, is steadily march it down. We're down again this week on yield. Uh, it went out on Friday. The last number I saw was 1.285, 1.285 on a 10-year treasury down another two or three basis points for the week. All this going from ones, you know, if, you know, if it was, it, it was difficult to invest a lot of money in bonds at, at 1.7% 10-year treasury yield. <laughs> How much more unattractive is it now at 1.3% for a 10-year treasury yield? I think uh, – I was looking at the 10-year yields in France. They're negative again. I think Germany is close to, if not negative. Japan was like 0.018 for 10 years. So there's another reason why you've seen stocks going high, because they because interest rates, bonds as an investment for the long term, have just gotten that much more unattractive again in the last four months. So it should be no surprise that on Friday that we close, I believe we closed, did we close at all time highs in all three indexes yep. on Friday? We're in the table. I believe we, yeah, you close with the first time of 35,000, over 35,000 on the, on Dow. the Dow, but not for the, there was no records for the S and P and NASDAQ. It wasn't, so. I thought it was. Well, the, the undercurrent too for the last week was earnings still continue to do to uh, report, and usually beat their estimates. Yeah, the story well, la the story that I was hearing, not in the week just passed, but the previous week before I got back from my out of town trip, and we had those days in a row that the market the market was negative. I was hearing talk about, <clears throat> well, earnings just can't get any better. This is the best that's going to be. It just can't get any better. And so let's let's just sell some stocks. Yeah, okay, I know the Federal Reserve Governor said what he said during the testimony and we're going to have even more fed speak in the week coming because we have a fed meeting. Uh, we have an announcement and I'll, I think this is the, the last announcement we're going to have until September because 
Because well, I we got yeah, well, we've got. I mean, there's Jackson Hole's not. An not it's not an announcement, but I know that words are going to be. No, I have an FOMC announcement over. next week. For... Yes, I know, but I was yeah. saying what Jackson Hole announcement's not going to be during Jackson no. Hole. But I know every every ounce, every single word said at Jackson Hole is going to be parsed within an inch of its life. Uh, by, by the we'll broader see. market, because I know everyone is watching intently of what's going to be coming out, because the big hand-wringing question is when and if the tapering is going to take place, when is that going to start? But we're going to have to hold that thought, take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. So just continuing our recap from Wall Street from last week, definitely didn't start off Monday on a good foot. Um, But as Joe mentioned in the last segment, as far as having your buy list ready and with the rally that we saw from Tuesday through Friday, a lot of investors definitely had their buy list ready. But before we went to break, talking about the 10-year treasury and Interest rates have just been continuously coming down going back to March of, of this year. And an acronym that we've talked about multiple times on, on the radio show is TINA. There is no alternative. So when you have no alternative as far as being able to see some capital appreciation in your portfolio, and we have trillions of dollars of assets on the sideline, and we're in an earnings season where we've seen so far of the companies that have reported in the S&P 500 have earnings growth at 76% year over year. Yes, you heard that right, folks. 76% earnings growth year over year that they were discussing Friday morning on CNBC. Granted, when we look at the comparisons year over year, we're comparing them from the second quarter of 2020. We were in the depths of the COVID pandemic, but some other headlines that rattled the markets, particularly at the beginning of the week on Monday, was the Delta variant. I know, Joe, you and I touched on it briefly on last weekend's show. And as the CDC and the powers that be talk about following the science, yes, the Delta variant might be more contagious. But as viruses split and mutate, they become weaker and weaker. So, yes, there's been some increases in hospitalizations, but I don't think deaths have been dramatically increasing from the Delta variant. And I know the media is trying to say it's only in the non-vaccinated folks that are getting the Delta variant, COVID, and that's just not true. Well, from a market-moving perspective, uh, there were some talk that some of the reason the markets were, were down last week, Monday, was concerns over effects uh, you know, potential shutdowns and areas of the economy. You know, th- there's this great fear that we're going to go back to a shutdown like we saw in February, 
<clears throat> March, April, you know, all those months last year. Now, the the chances of that happening are zero, ladies and gentlemen. Well, and the reason – hold on, Joe. The reason the chances are zero is because Democrats need to get reelected in 2022. And if they shut the economy down like it got shut down in 2020 due to COVID, uh, that's going to it's going to be a very tough uh, road to hoe next year if the economy goes back in the tank because we have mass shutdowns due to COVID. So that ain't going to happen. You, you mean you mean a tougher a tougher road, or I should say, a deeper hole that the left has yeah. already dug themselves in since <laughs> okay. Joe Biden sure. has taken office? Sure. I so, mean, let, let's 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 look at the gas pump. Thank you, Keystone XL Pipeline. Let's 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 look at at what hasn't happened. I mean, we, we're just seeing nothing but inflation, and then the social engineering programs that the left is trying to pass. Okay. All right. To the tune of multi-trillions of dollars. Let's keep it purple. Let's keep it purple. I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, what did I, I'm sorry. What, what thought did I interrupt earlier for Joe that you wanted to say? You completely threw my train of thought. But Okay. <laughs> so if you look at it technically, in 50% of America or whatever the number is, is vaccinated, I, I don't see how they're going to shut things down again. And also, no matter what happens, we figured out how to maneuver around some of these situations when you have these outbreaks. And I, I don't see it either. That was going to be my take is technically if we have a 50% vaccination rate in the United States of America, somebody's got to go to work regardless of the situation. There's no going back. There is no going back to where we're going to have a shutdown. Now, now, I, will, say, I will grant you this overseas, masks, but not a shutdown overseas. That's a wild card. You know, I don't know what they could do in some of the, you know, some of the countries in Europe, uh, if they could go back to, you know, reinstalling a lot of restrictions in terms of travel and trade and how much and how much of an effect that might have uh, overall in the economy. But obviously the market, after having a two or three day freak out, just went right back the other way. And, and so buying the dips is working. And and as long as long as buying the dips is working to have your buy list ready. Now I can tell you from our, you know, our perspective and our portfolios, we did some buying several weeks ago, which I'm, I'm, I know that we talked about and we haven't, we didn't do anything on Monday. We had, we took some profits and some stocks a couple of weeks ago and our asset allocations overall are higher to stocks, not because we've added money to stocks necessarily. It's because of appreciation in the stocks that we, that we own, but we're still below our maximum asset allocations across the board uh and we've been that way since march of well actually february of 2020 was the last time we had a maximum allocation to stocks across all of our asset allocation models but in saying that uh, we're basically what five percent below our maximum asset allocations to stocks Uh, so we're definitely we're definitely participating and uh, but we're we're not you were not at maximum allocation it just hasn't really been there hasn't really been a reason to be just completely and totally a hundred percent back to our maximum mass allocations in the, in the portfolios. Well, one thing I did want to talk about, we talk about our allocations and I was talking to a client earlier this week about how we've had to actually 
think outside the box and look at what the interest rates, where the interest rates are, what we're getting in bonds. And, the, you know, the 60, the old 60-40 really is going to be the new 70-30 or 65-35. We do have a percentage of our allocation in, in dividend-paying stocks that we've had appreciation out of instead of having short-term bonds. So if you're looking at your portfolio trying to create income, you, know, you have to take that into account also. Well, it's it's the barbell approach that we've been talking about all, all year on the Money Wise show is how we were building that into the barbell of our portfolio. So we have one end with our growth names, the higher momentum, the higher capital appreciation opportunities, but also higher priced from a PE standpoint, price earnings multiple. And then we have our income producing side with more blue chip, classic growth stocks that don't give you maybe as much of an opportunity for explosive capital appreciation, but pay very solid and consistent dividends to help increase overall cash flow in the portfolio. And if you're a retiree, and because we, I mean, we still own bonds in our portfolio, but as the years have been going by, we have been decreasing the dollars that we have been allocating to fixed income. And I can tell you just kind of pulling the curtain back, there's been conversations going around in our portfolio strategy meetings of some potential new devices that have become available that could possibly in the future be utilized in our portfolio to give us downside risk protection, but giving us a a higher capital appreciation opportunity with maybe moving some more of our fixed income allocation out of the bonds because of this historically low interest rate environment we're in. But the foundation of every single one of our portfolios at Davidson Capital Management is built on bonds and or cash combination of the two. But you, again, have to be able to make those adjustments within that allocation. It's not just a set it and forget it. And leading to that set it and forget it idea, as Jeff mentioned a week or so ago, we had taken some profits and a couple of individual stocks in our portfolio that had really run up. And that's something that we have to remind all of our listeners is that you need to pay attention and have some vigilance in your portfolio. Whether you're in a taxable, you have a taxable account or you have a retirement IRA account, you need to be paying attention to your positions and seeing if some of your positions are getting out of whack from an allocation standpoint, because they have run up so much in value and you need to ring the register and trim some of that profit off. You don't have to get rid of the position, but just bring it back in line with your overall allocation model. And if you're working with an advisor that's not doing that, a question you need to be asking him or her is why? Why are they not doing that? Why are they not? There's a a saying we use here in the office. We've said it on the show. You never go broke taking a profit. And you don't have to completely sell out of a position to rake some of that profit off of the table. Joe, you want to say something? I wanted to go... In, a, in another asset class, because we're talking about portfolio construction, and maybe we could do it more after the break. But I was just actually reviewing 401k plans and looking at the average international mutual fund versus maybe the average actually domestic growth fund year to date. And there's some pretty interesting numbers that maybe we can go over. But that's the other thing. And if you're overweighted or you have a 10 or 20% allocation to international stocks, for the most part, you haven't been rewarded as much as you would be in the domestic. Yeah, I've got something I want to add to that, too, when we come back from the break. Okay. Well, I guess we'll be tackling the conversation about international and or emerging market investing in your portfolio. So we'll do that that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite streaming podcast apps. So before we went to the bottom of the hour break, uh, we were talking about international and and or emerging market investments or allocations in your portfolio. And I can tell you, and we've talked about it on this program for years now, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis for prospective clients that take us up on that opportunity, one thing that we typically see Oh, I would say 9.9999 times out of 10 when we're reviewing a portfolio that's coming from the big uh, legacy distribution systems uh, or the big brokerage firms of the world. You take your pick of flavor of, of which firms these are that typically utilize a lot of computers, a lot of Monte Carlo analysis, uh, a lot of uh, systems that are trying to simplify money management to an algorithm. They spit out, because there's sometimes not a lot of hands-on actual human being asset management taking place, because for some reason these firms seem to think that a computer can do better than a human being that's been in the trenches managing money for decades. Um, We see a lot of portfolios that have high allocations to asset classes that haven't been working for many, many, many years. This in turn causes portfolios to underperform because of these high allocations. And typically when we review a portfolio that's coming from one of these big legacy distribution system firms, we'll see 15, 20, 25% because the allocated to international and or emerging markets, because this is what the Monte Carlo analysis says from the Monte Carlo theory, but this is what you need to have allocated in your portfolio based on your risk tolerance slash risk capacity. And because this asset class hasn't been working for so many years, there can be some significant underperformance. And for full disclosure, we had been out of emerging markets and international markets for many, many years. At the beginning of this year, we built a very small 3% position in an emerging market exchange-traded fund index. And we built that position over the course of, of several weeks and we've been holding that position in our portfolio since. Hasn't really made a lot of money, hasn't really lost a lot of money. And Joe and I were having this conversation earlier this week in our San Antonio office. And it really hits home that when you look at your portfolio construction, you have to make sure you have your assets allocated to asset classes that you feel have good long-term perspective as far as capital appreciation. But when it comes to things like emerging markets international, I think Joe hit an important point where he said that you have to kind of be in it before things take off. That is one reason we felt as the economy starts to come back domestically, economies around the world in emerging markets and or international markets will also start be start to recover coming out of the COVID pandemic. Well, obviously, we're now dealing with this Delta variant. 
and some of the European and emerging market countries are reacting with a little bit bigger knee-jerk reaction than we are here in the United States because we have done such a better job in our country as far as getting the vaccinations in people's arms. But I think this is an allocation in our portfolio that I've been fighting back and forth whether or not we wanted to continue to hold it for longer term. And I know, Jeff, you and I talked about it briefly as you got back into town. But then to Joe's point about you need to be in it before it takes off. And we know that we will get through to the other side of the Delta variant. We know we'll get to the other side of getting vaccinations in people's arms worldwide. So this would be a position in our portfolio to just kind of settle in, you know, kind of buckle in on and stay in it for a longer period of time and give it the opportunity to grow its roots in the portfolio to sprout the fruit. Joe? Did I just oh, blow you guys both away? No, with I thought Jeff no. was going oh, to take us. Okay. Well, I know I Jeff. Jeff always has some really good statisticals that needs to throw out there. So <laughs> statisticals. <laughs> who's, who's taking the mic? So the so the George point the, the point that we wanted to make with everyone listening to the show is go. I know it for for most folks that are invested in stocks this year. You've made money, and there and then you're not really motivated necessarily to go dig into the particulars of your portfolio to see what you own, see what your the allocations are to the particular securities that you own, understanding what you're paying for them. If you have commissions that you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing dollar cost averaging and depositing money into an account on a monthly basis, are you buying uh, loaded mutual funds, meaning mutual funds that have sales charges every month and not realizing you're paying these sales charges? It's very easy to get complacent when the markets are doing this well, because you're getting a statement every month saying you're making money. So everything must be great. And there's nothing that I need to do. Well, today I, I sat down with a near term retiree from a major employer here in Corpus Christi. Uh, we have many clients from this particular employer and we've seen dozens and dozens of portfolios over the years from this particular 401k plan and as soon as I saw his allocation, allocation, I knew immediately that they were using the in-house quote unquote money management firm to design this allocation. And the reason I knew that is because it has 28% of the portfolio in international and emerging market securities. Now, international emerging market securities this year the MSCI All Country World Index X the U.S. That means every country in the in the world except United States stocks through close of business Thursday was up a little over eight percent with dividends. That's less than half the S and P 500 in the United States. Emerging markets is less than three percent year to date. Now this particular portfolio has 28% of its assets invested in these two asset classes. Now, now, Jeff, is he in a moderate, or I'm assuming he was in a growth or aggressive portfolio? This Overall, I would consider this to be an aggressive portfolio. I would say, I would estimate that it's over 80% invested in stocks. And so I would, I would consider this to be an aggressive asset allocation under our definition of aggressive. It may not be 
what Wall Street or other firms consider to be aggressive. But from our point of view, I would consider this to be an aggressive asset allocation. And so the point is, if you've got money in your large 401k and you're using their in-house asset allocation manager, or you've got money at one of the big brokerage houses, like Kyle said, that's also you know, doing asset allocation amongst mutual funds or exchange traded funds or a combination of those two, look and see what your international exposure is. Because by and large, typically over the last 20 plus years, if you're in one of these cookie cutter asset allocation models put out by Wall Street, you're going to be 15, 20, 25% invested internationally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's just what they do. Because it's typically some that, type of computer algorithm yeah. that sets the allocation, not a but, human being but analyzing look, yeah. asset class performance, historic valuations, and making a human being decision with their skill yeah. and, and, and experience. Let me, let me ask you all. Let me ask you allocate a, assets there. Let me ask you an off the wall question. I know y'all don't know the answer. When was the last time that an international mutual fund or an emerging market mutual fund on its own outperformed the S and P 500? Well, I, mean, I know. <laughs> Well, I, I can wow. tell you. I, I can tell you that <clears throat> I want to say back. I can get my Morningstar out. Because, because our listeners would our, our listeners would say, "Well, well, why do you have three percent emerging markets?" That's but that's I mean. it, that, well. This is the yeah. exact reason why we started buying the position in January right. of this year you, in anticipation because emerging markets, when he, when it comes to international investing, emerging markets has really been the one that's been lagging the most behind. And typically when you see an asset class that's lagging the most, it has right. the biggest upside opportunity. Plus from a valuation standpoint, from a price earnings multiple standpoint, those stocks are definitely more in the value camp. Yeah. And, so, and so in anticipation of the emerging markets to recover from the COVID pandemic and emerge from these lockdowns, this asset class had some extreme opportunity for some explosive growth and emerging markets is also an asset class where you can see an up 40 50 60 percent in one given market year and so that's the reason why we built the position but see we also didn't do it with a 10 percent allocation or a 15 percent allocation we stayed very very conservative because again at davidson capital management we design our portfolio about average singles and doubles so from, from in summary, from an international perspective, and Kyle and I were talking about it earlier this week, and here's some consternation about emerging markets international. We, we basically dipped our toe in the water. We didn't put our whole foot in the water. Like some of the, I call them R2D2 portfolios that are out there that have 10, 15, 20% international exposure. Well, I would, so, I, I would, I would, if you, our listeners want some homework for the weekend, go pull out statements about a year apart over the last three years and see what your asset allocation has been to international emerging markets. And I bet you're going to find it's been the same or about the same for the last three years. And both international and emerging markets have underperformed domestic markets in 2019, 2020, and so far in 2021. And then your final question is why? why? And am I paying Thank a you. fee for it? That's right. And what am I paying for it? <laughs> so let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. 
if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite streaming podcast apps. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit, but before we do, just a reminder for any uh, listeners just tuning in, pull out your statements. This, Yes, everyone that's owning stocks is making some good money this year. Don't get complacent. As Joe has always said, as we've always said on this program, know what you own. Take a look at how your portfolio is allocated, what asset classes it's allocated to, and how have these asset classes actually performed over the last three to four years and if they haven't done well and you have a high allocation to it, you might want to start asking questions if your advisor is, why have we continued to own these? And then before we went to the last commercial break, asking, how much am I paying for your services? Because the fastest way to add money to your bottom line is to lower your fees and expenses. So shifting gears, I know we had quite a bit of economic stats that come out this past week. And so, Jeff, since you were off on last weekend's show, uh, Joe and I skipped over that. Really? Y'all did not yeah, talk about economics? No, we didn't. Okay. We, we, we actually went into a lot of investor education. I, I'd right. say we really, really tackled a lot of good investor education topics. So, uh, so in the week just passed on Tuesday, we had housing starts. Housing starts rose 6.3% to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.643 million units. However, permits for future home building fell 5.1%. I think the market really cared more about the housing starts than I did about the permits. Uh, on Thursday, existing home sales expanded again by 1.4% with no region in the United States showing a sales decline. The inventory of unsold homes has increased 3.3% to 1.25 million, which is equivalent to 2.6 months of inventory uh, the median existing home sales price rose at a year-over-year pace of 23.4%, which Ooh. is the second highest level recorded since January 1999. Wow. And, the, and the average number of days homes are on the market is how many days, gentlemen? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably 30 average. No, I'd probably say 10. 17. Wow. 17. Well, I will say this. It's, it's definitely a seller's market, <laughs> to, 17. To, say, to, to say the least. And I'm looking it, forward to builders taking some of this dry powder they've had on the sidelines for way too long and get back into creating more supply, particularly for the first-time home buyer as millennials are really starting to get into the housing market. So the leading economic indicators, which was reported on Thursday, was up seven-tenths of a percent last month. So all in all, uh, good economic numbers. We've already talked about uh, the the uh, earnings numbers were good. There's a lot of earnings coming out next week. Uh, we also have a lot of economic news next week with new home sales on Monday, durable goods on Tuesday. We have the FOMC announcement on Wednesday. On Thursday, we have the first reading of second quarter gross domestic product and pending home sales. 
And on Friday, we have personal income and spending. And, you know, the Fed speak, and I know we got to spend at least a couple of minutes talking about the Fed on every We almost made money it. Wise, almost. almost made it. But when it's on A1 of Friday's Wall Street Journal with the headlines, Fed set to speed review of tapering. Well, how does the Wall Street Journal know this? No idea. Do no, they, how, how, do they how do they know? How do they know? I mean, it, is it a foregone conclusion that the Federal Reserve is going to start talking about reducing their monthly bond purchases? The answer is yes. And, and I would hazard to say that the Federal Reserve might not raise interest rates until they stop buying bonds on a monthly yes. basis. Whoa, you're really going on a limb on that call, Jeff. <laughs> they'll taper yeah. it X number of billions a month before, you know, they'll get either close to or zero before they actually raise interest rates. We'll Absolutely. see. We'll, well see. And, no, we'll see. And I wanted to go back because something we said in the first segment about the the Dow, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ hitting all-time highs on Friday. And I just confirmed, yes, they all did. I thought so. And make all-time highs. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closing above 35,000 for the first time. And the S&P 500 at 44.11. And then the NASDAQ hitting an all-time record high as well. So, very short-lived corrective pullback. Well, just a comment on that. I can't remember the last time I got a text or a call from a client. But, wow, the market's really, really doing well. You know, good job, guys. Meaning every time I get a text or I get a call, it's lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Here's inflation. Biden said this. Delta variant that. I'm like, just enjoy. Taxes are going to go to the roof. We're going to have to increase on long-term capital gains. Dogs, cats. Well, here's a question. Well, here's a question. Here's a question. How many? Enjoy the ride. How many clients have contacted us concerned about the decline Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday? Not a call. I, I haven't received any calls about it. Yeah. Well, you, a ten percent correction should be expected at any time during the year for any reason, and it looked like we might have been at the beginning of one. Well, particularly Monday, particularly Monday. That's particularly Monday. Exactly. Hey. Well, I, yeah. I, well, especially after Thursday and Friday two weeks ago of the selling, but an, an average year you're going to see three. On average, 5% corrective moves in the market. And I would have to go back and look at, at, at all my statistics, but to see when the last time we saw a 5% corrective move. Um, but, but really, as we've been saying on this program, when we have these corrective moves, they typically go down very quickly, but they can snap back just as fast on the other side because of how much money is sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, yeah. I know you and I'm I, supposed you... to, I'm supposed to beat you over the head every time you say money on the sidelines. That's a directive from dad, but here's the reason this, this, the, these yields on these 10 year treasuries put a floor. I mean, if the 10 year treasury yield was at two and a half percent on Monday and we were down 700 points, we'd be talking about, we'd be having a whole different conversation this week, but at one, two, 1.2%, 1.3% 10-year Treasury yield, there's a floor. There's a floor under how far the market could go down in any one of these little mini corrections. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners of Money Wise on 1200 WOAI, WOAI we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise show. 
you like to catch the second hour, you can always catch it on our website at davidsoncap.com or check out our podcast on all your favorite streaming podcast apps. For listeners of Money Wise and Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and going into some more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, and I found a, an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners in the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked 
many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again. Uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And, uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend well, yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5 I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call uh, you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on unless and as we've talked on this program, if you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there, there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid, privately traded REITs or REITs in general. There's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value. Many of the the, the mesh limited partnerships, some of the REITs, had large declines in values 
and saw their yields go up. And for whatever reason, the the, the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that Dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more. Uh, uh, there's a better treatment of of, of taxation uh, on on those dividend paying stocks, and you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And Jeff, I'm glad you brought up right before we went to commercial break the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and I've said I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said oh Kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent uh, dividend yield I'm getting, and I'm sa- and I said to them, but you've lost 50 percent or 75 percent of the value of your original investment, and then I see the look come over their face, saying, "Oh my gosh, I just realized that I was like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture." So for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print in every perspective, as we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top, 
and that all you know it, it's it, that's all it. these this all these it. yeah this is it it can't go any higher we'll go we'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began and there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to in essence board up their portfolios get ready for that coming storm get ready for that hurricane that's coming and you know preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about but it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar, but most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port- have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds, they thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. And so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013. And, you have, and and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income because that's what that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds that I I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along and these investors that had high allocations to to fixed income found out that yes you can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're 
talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here that have come through our front door that have been in that situation, if you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, Number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans. And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – The one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking 
the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, That's if you choose the single life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions. Um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less then option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, 
then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and... You need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liquid, it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of uh, payments which is in essence an annuity they don't ever call it that I know. which is very interesting it's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office it never says annuity it's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for your heir's life for your spouse's life it doesn't say that this is an essence an annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking 
monthly distributions from the assets we manage and in essence have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves by but but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case complete liquidity complete complete flexibility flexibility. and complete access at all times and the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case god forbid an emergency is three business days that's it and so this pension conversation again goes right in line with annuities and it really again adds to our disdain to annuities and as jeff said you know taking those those monthly payments you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff. Some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as, right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we had said in some of the uh, some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and, and the uh, the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've s- especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis. And the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, the, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts, or REITs, in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market, 
for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, and the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based structure, a fee-based arrangement, that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. And, and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you, you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. 
there's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And and, and the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show they can add up and they're not always obvious and you have to as Kyle says dig deeper to figure it out uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at the major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there That's right. uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities well I, I, and I will, i'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this if anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing that's a flat out lie that is a flat out lie they're not people doing it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart don't work for nothing they don't work for nothing so keep that in the back of your mind so the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have and again see this and we talk about this time and time again is long-term growth the bottom line is is as you get closer to retirement and as Jeff said at the the beginning of this second hour you can't just board up your portfolio you cannot say well I'm two or three years away from retiring so now I'm just gonna move everything 100% into fixed income now I'm safe yeah preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth you always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with preve- preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss well it's not going to show it on your statement but it is a loss one thing that that i think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the cpi running around two percent are just about over and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, 
that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe you are actually taking a big risk you think you're being safe when you're doing this you are not and you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio and so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half one thing i just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution and that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit-sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week